Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast. Why do we have the Truth About Work podcast? Well, everybody goes to work, and we should really start telling the truth about work. That's my opinion. I'm the CEO and founder of a company and the leader of a movement. Both of them are called Human Workplace. And the mission of Human Workplace is to reinvent work for people. So what does it mean? Well, we all go to work. We have to earn a living. Uh, but work is a lot more than just where you go to get a paycheck. You know, you get a lot at work in the best case. And you give a lot, a lot of yourself at work in the worst case. Uh, and maintaining that balance where you get back as much as you put into a job is hard. It's not an easy thing. It's never been all that easy, but it's really hard now. And uh, I've been doing HR human resources stuff and career coaching and writing advice columns and all that for a long time, 20 years or more, and, uh, and just flooded with questions. Because who doesn't have questions about the job? How do I get a job? How do I brand myself? You know, How much should I charge when I go on a job search, right? How do I get an interview? What do I do when I get to the interview? Thousands of questions. Can I negotiate a job offer? You know, is something terrible going to happen to me? And then when you're on the job, what about my boss who's a pain in the butt? Or what about my coworker who keeps trying to borrow money? You know, or whatever. How do I ask for more vacation time than they normally give? Yada, yada, yada. It's never ending. Everyone has questions and concerns about their job and their career. Should I be working for myself? If I wanted to do that, how would I do it, right? And we don't have a lot of good answers. It's hard to find good answers. The reason I started writing career and workplace advice columns back in like 1999 is because when I would read this stuff, I would say, ew, who wrote this? No offense to the people who wrote those columns, but it was like the companies themselves were writing the job search and career advice. Like it was sort of from the mouth of the people who have a vested interest in having you behave a certain way and not necessarily bring yourself and your own opinions and your own spark and your own individuality to your job and certainly not, you know, buck this system. So, you know, even though I've been an HR person thousand years, uh, the kind of HR I do and have always done is human. And it seems to me that's the logical and obvious way to do HR and leadership and all that kind of stuff. So I started teaching it and really was shocked and appalled by what I, what I learned, that, that, that many, many, many people, working people, have been taught, uh, probably the vast majority of folks have been taught that you just can't bring yourself to work. You can't be yourself at work. What you trade in exchange for your paycheck is your personality and sometimes your ethics and your opinions. And that's gross and it's destructive and it's bad for our health. And that's why I started the movement and the company Human Workplace. And uh, happy that the word is spreading, thanks to you guys. Uh, we got 3 million followers so far and uh, very excited about growing that way a lot bigger and uh, answering your questions and talking about how to have the job and the career and the life that you deserve, right? So, so we're going to answer a question right now, and, uh, and I want to mention, too, if you have a question for me, you can send it by email to support at humanworkplace.com, and I might answer your question 
on an upcoming podcast or even Twitter or LinkedIn, whatever. All right, so let's listen. Hi, Liz. This is Amy. I was wondering how to minimize the impact of job hopping on a resume. Thanks. Okay. This is a beautiful question. How do I minimize the effect of job hopping on a resume? Well, it's a great question, right? Because why? Number one, there's a huge widespread weenie-tastic and irrational fear of this uh, this creature called a job hopper. You're a job hopper? You are a job hopper. You might be suspected of being a job hopper. Oh, it's like the kiss of death to be called a job hopper in some circles. Why? Let's look at that, you guys. Why? Why is it so scary to some recruiters and interviewers that you might have had a few more jobs than they wanted you to have. Well, think about it. If you are changing jobs frequently, for example, to get more money, if you can't get paid correctly at the job you've got, it's a pain in the neck, right? To job hunt. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know what I would do today for no reason at all is look for a new job. No, people don't look for a new job unless things are bad because change is hard and job search is not always a picnic, right? And we typically settle for the devil we know versus the devil we don't know. So people don't change jobs for the fun of it. And when they change jobs every couple of years, for example, like to get paid what they're worth, then a future employer can look at that and say, oh, is this person going to leave us also after a couple of years to get paid what they're worth? Yeah, well, they probably will. And that, but that's an aversive thing, right? And because this idea of job hopping has gotten implanted kind of in the collective, like corporate and institutional brain as, as bad, negative, it can be hard for you. When you go on the job search, if you've got one too many jobs on your resume and they might, they might actually reject you without meeting you just because they think you haven't stayed at all your past jobs long enough. Now here's, here's what's so awful and hypocritical about that. We've seen such unbelievable tumult and turmoil in the working world. People who would have been happy pleased as punch to stay with one employer for 10 or 15 or 20 years, did not have the opportunity because they got laid off. Who has not been laid off, right? A merger, an acquisition, company went out of business, your division was sold, they downsized, it's become a fact of life. So many people have gotten laid off that, you know, it's, it's conventional now. Back when I was a young HR person in the 1980s, what would happen is if there was going to be a layoff, they would bring in an outplacement firm and they'd put everybody through outplacement training to help them, you know, get equipped to get a new job. They don't do that anymore because they assume everybody's been through outplacement already because there've been layoffs going on for 25 years. So the idea that companies might still hold it against you that you've had a series of short-term jobs without even asking you, was this your decision or was it their decision? <laughs> or were there extenuating circumstances that made it impossible for you to stay? You know, that's really a knock on them, not you. And to some extent, this whole job hopping thing, you know, there is a huge aspect. My mantra for job seekers is, if they don't get you, they don't deserve you. Not all of these employers deserve your talents. Might not feel like that, when you're desperate for a job sometimes and you're wondering how you're gonna pay the rent, okay, I understand completely. But in reality, when you have your equilibrium and you have your feet under you, not all 
of these companies deserve you. And there is a litmus test on your side as a job seeker, on your side of the desk, if they're going to be that fussy about the job hopping thing, you just might decide you don't want to work there. But let's just say, for sake of argument, and to answer your question, let's say they do. You, you want to work there. You want to pursue it, but you got a couple too many jobs on your resume and you're worried about it. Here's a couple of ways to ameliorate that. One is if there are months on your resume, started the job, you know, in October of, of 2016 and they left in March of 2017, get rid of the months. Get rid of all the months on your resume. No one cares. doesn't matter. Just put the years, 2016 to 2017. LinkedIn, unfortunately, forces you to put in the months, but, you know, anymore, a lot of uh, screeners are not going to jump to your LinkedIn profile uh, just because they received your resume. They see the resume, the resume looks good, you have the kind of background that they're looking for, you know, they'll probably set up a phone screen. Once they meet you, the whole equation changes. If they like you, if you sound like you're on top of things and maybe a good fit for the job, then some of the small stuff that would originally um, rise to the level of getting you kicked out of the pipeline, you know, may not do that anymore. So you can get rid of the months on your resume. Another way to uh, mitigate the effects of this job hopping thing is uh, that you can use the bullets in your resume to explain. You know how you can have bullets and you say, I was an inventory supervisor at Acme Explosives and I did XYZ and then you got some bullets. And a couple of the bullets might be, I brought in a new inventory control software system to save the company, whatever. I trained four warehouse associates and got them certified on a forklift, whatever. And then the last bullet can be left Acme Explosives uh, when it shut down its Phoenix office. Boom. Now you've explained it. And any time that you can answer a question that was just about to occur to the person screening your resume, that's a good thing. You answer the question preemptively. And that's another good way to sort of soften the effect of what otherwise might, you know, get you tagged as a job hopper. I keep talking about job hopper, you know, like it's neutral. Obviously it's not. It's horrifying <laughs> that in this day and age, the United States of America, employment at will, the doctrine of the land says you could be let go for any reason or no reason with no notice, okay? Um, the idea that you would be the one tagged with being a miscreant or <laughs> undesirable because you're a job hopper is just sad, right? So I'm not, I, I want to disabuse any, um, any notion I may have left out there that I, you know, think it's reasonable to call someone a job hopper. I don't. But anyway, those are a couple of ways to kind of, um, you know, surmount that obstacle. Another one, one more thing on the job hopping front, if you worked a bunch of little short things, just pull them together on a section of your resume called short-term assignments. Short-term assignments, you know, I put in this, uh, this procedure for this one organization and I did this thing over here. These days, it really doesn't matter if you're W-2 or 1099, if you're a contractor or if you're a regular employee, you know, it's just another clerical detail. It's just a way to get paid. Used to be, oh, I'm full-time. That's like a long-term deal. It's not anymore. Sadly, it's not. So you don't have to make the distinction if, if you did something that really felt like a consulting assignment and then it was over and you moved on, you know, you can just call it a consulting assignment. Later, they're going to verify your employment probably before they hire you. But so what? That's a completely different process just about confirming dates and titles. So you got to give the accurate 
um, dates and titles then, but not in your resume. Make sense? All right. So we were talking about the fact that work, which should be a wonderful, creative, warm, communal, right? Uh, vibrant human activity, just as cool and, and, and awesome and unique as any other human activity, art, right? Is, has become very mechanized. Work has become incredibly mechanized. And the side effect of that is all around us. It's not good for people. It's not good for us as individuals. It's not good for the, uh, the planet. It's not good for our communities, for our health, right? And so our goal and our mission at Human Workplace and in this podcast, Truth About Work, is to work on that problem. How do you do it? Well, there's kind of two sides to the coin. The first one is teaching and empowering folks like you and all the Human Workplace followers and the community to run a career like a business. It's your career. It's your business. It's exactly as much of a business as any business on earth. The fact that you work for companies does not mean that you do not also work for yourself and you do work for yourself and your family and the people who rely on you first and foremost, right? Just because you may be an employee and you may punch a clock or fill out a timesheet, right? Doesn't mean that it isn't your career to run. And this is a shift that's taken place over the last 30 years because employers did used to run people's careers and people were cool with it. My dad was cool with it because the company promoted him every couple of years for 35 years. What's not to like, right? That was the American dream at the time. Well, that corporate ladder, of course, is sawdust now. It's gone. You cannot rely on organizations to attend to your career development, meaning you have to do it for yourself. And you have to know everything that an entrepreneur would know about their business and their marketplace, you have to know about your business and your marketplace too. You have to know what you're worth to employers and why. You have to know what kind of pain you solve. You have to know which companies you would approach if your current job should go away. We're not used to thinking like this, but this is what we're learning together. The other piece of this, of this puzzle on the individual side, right, is that people not only have to know how they're situated as, as independent economic units, right, but they also have to have the muscles, the power, the strength, the confidence to speak up and to take steps and to step out of their comfort zone, step out of, you know, the standard rules and restrictions because they're nonsense. And I'm telling you that as a former Fortune 500 SVP of HR, right? So believe me, it's true. You can speak up. You can act according to your heart and your brain and your gut, right? The rules that used to constrain us don't constrain us so much anymore because the whole structure is breaking down. Sure, you know, if a company is going to keep you employed and take great care of you for 30 years, you're probably going to be okay with their 100-page employee manual. You're not going to really fuss about it because it's a good deal overall. Well, that deal is dust now. It's gone, right? So people are saying, wait a minute. What's this whole thing that I have to give two weeks notice when I quit, but y'all, you guys don't have to give me two weeks notice when you lay me off? How's that fair? Exactly. Okay, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Questioning the status quo and speaking up when appropriate or walking out of a job interview if it's actively insulting, right? Or, you know, not giving two weeks notice if you fear realistically based on, you know, your heart, your gut, 
other evidence that you might get walked out the door for the crime of giving notice, which happens sadly on a daily basis. So we're growing muscles and we're getting stronger. And by virtue of getting stronger, of course, we can help and mentor our friends and family members and get all of us to be stronger, right? This corporate or the organizational side of the mission of human workplace, which is to reinvent work for people, is just teaching and empowering leaders in organizations how to make their workplaces flexible and warm and healthy and human. And, and so we teach all that methodology and mindset too. So anyway, that is the story. I'm going to answer one more Q&A and then we'll uh, wrap up episode one of the Truth About Work podcast. Let's hear it. Hi, Liz. This is Erica calling. I've uh, been a fan of yours for a long time, and I read Reinvention Roadmap and really enjoyed that one. So thank you for, for that. Um, and I am job hunting um, currently. And my question for you is um, that when I go on these interviews, the question that I, I struggle with the most is um, when they ask, you know, when they ask me, out of all the applicants we have, why should we hire you? And I always feel like I'm bragging when I ask that question or don't really know what they're looking for. So would love um, any advice you have there. So thanks so much. Yes, this is another great question. How do you answer the interview question, why should we hire you? This is, if you, if you think about the mindset from which these interview questions spring, the traditional interview questions, it's absolutely a mindset that the employer's on the top and the job candidates are on the bottom. A huge advantage I had coming up as an HR person is I never learned any of this stuff. I just happened never to work for an HR person. I was made HR manager in a, in a startup where I worked, got to be a, a much larger company and, and uh, you know, thousands of employees. But when I got there, it was teensy. They made me HR manager, but I'd never done HR before. And so I didn't have a manager who had ever done HR before. I told my VP of operations, my boss, John Brady, I don't know anything about HR. I was mad. I didn't want to be an HR person. And he said, just go to some workshops. He said, I have a sense, I have a feeling from my business experience that the legal stuff and the procedural stuff is the smallest part of the role. What a genius John Brady is. <laughs> Absolutely true. The legal stuff and the procedural stuff is the smallest part of HR. And of course, leadership in general, it's listening, talking to people and trying to make a, a, a workplace where people are excited to be there every day and they feel okay about it and they feel good and strong and healthy and confident and valued and respected. And, um, and so, you know, when you do that, you see that it works. And the company was incredibly profitable, grew incredibly fast. Then I went to another company, same exact thing happened. Technology company grew insanely fast, great environment, not too many rules, not a lot of bureaucracy and red tape, hire smart people, set them free. They and I, you know, we still keep in touch 20 years later. This is not only the best way to take care of people, but it's also the best way to take care of shareholders and customers, because obviously when people are treated like adults, they care more about their work, but that's not the prevailing mindset. The prevailing mindset is that you're lucky to have this job. And if you're going to come to an interview, you should grovel. And, and I hear this repeated 
all the time. People who comment on my posts on LinkedIn and Twitter and whatever, email that comes into our mailbox, you know, applicants need to understand. No, they don't need to understand Jack, actually. They really don't. It's their choice where they work, just like it's your choice, whom to hire. So this insulting, ridiculous question, with all the talented candidates, why should we hire your sorry ass, is so on the face of it, brainless and clueless about human relationships. I came to the interview. You obviously invited me. I could be living my life. I have laundry to do right now. I have groceries to buy, plants to water, stuff that I could be doing. Why are you insulting me, asking me to compare myself to candidates I will never meet and you will. You know what you want. You know your organization. How the hell would I be expected to tell you why you should hire me. It's a question not about substance or content, but about the relationship. Please acknowledge, little candidate, that you are nothing and I'm the one making the decisions. They want you to grovel. However, the reason I give these employers a pass and I don't want you to get up and walk out the door every single time you get the ridiculous interview question, why should we hire you, is because they're not thinking about it like that. They were told to ask the question and they do. That's the long and short of it. Maybe you are more of a deep thinker and you don't say things that people give you on scripts to say unless they feel good coming out of your mouth, but not everyone is like that. They've been hearing HR people say, why should we hire you since the dawn of time? And they say it too. So we give them a pass on that score. They're just not they're just not awake, right? They're not taking responsibility for those words. They're used to asking candidates, why should we hire you? And having the candidate say, well, I'm thrifty and loyal and I had a very good GPA in college and I walk old ladies across the street. It's absurd, right? But here's how you can answer the question without feeling like a total, ugh, you know, a fearful grovel bunny. <laughs> you can say, wow, okay, why should you hire me? I'm not sure, but how about this? How about if I tell you what I heard that you're looking for in our conversation thus far, and you can tell me whether I'm in the ballpark. I've never heard of a situation where the interviewer said anything other than sure. All right, so you say, yeah, how about if I tell you what I heard so far, and then you tell me whether I'm in the ballpark. They say, sure, and you say, okay. Well, I heard that your company is growing and you want somebody to come in and support the manager of a sales administration with reporting on profitability, sales by region, sales by customer, look at trends, do some analysis, handle a lot of the back and forth with salespeople and commissions and reporting, whatever, whatever it is. You're going to tell them what you heard as well as what you intuited from your previous background, right, about the job. People love to hear their words repeated back to them and concepts that they tried to lay out. You might be a hundred times more articulate than they are, but either way, you've asked them for permission to answer their question, why should we hire you, by laying out what you heard they, they need and they gave you permission and you lay it out and then all they can say is, oh, I think you really nailed it or okay, fine, you know, uh, there might be a few other points, but I think 
you know, we're talking the same language. Be very unusual for you to flub that and tell them what they didn't say, right? If you're awake, if you're listening. Because the uh, obviously the obligation is not just on the interviewer to be awake and conscious in the interview, but of course on you too. And so I want to give you a little tip here, a little bit of unsolicited interview advice is don't try to please. Don't go to the interview to do a dog and pony show and make somebody love you. You have no one to impress. You are awesome. You have skills and talents you probably don't even know you have. You have more than you think you do. The job search grind takes it out of you and you start to really doubt yourself. No, I'm here to tell you I've interviewed tens of thousands of people, hired thousands of people. You have something that people need, that organizations need. And I want you to feel that viscerally. Think about the stories of the times when you saved the day at work. Yes, you did. I don't care what kind of job you have. You have stories. You have triumphs. You have power, more power than you probably realize. And the more you can get in touch with that, however you feel your power, in the gym, dancing, right, to Spotify, <laughs> whatever you do, taking care of your plants or your grandbabies, cooking, doing art, you know, play the violin, do all that stuff. Feel strong, feel your mojo, because that's the only fuel you've got. All right, you guys, that's the end of episode one of the Truth About Work podcast. I'm Liz Ryan, and I'll see you next time. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I hope you do. It's at Human Workplace.